Hey Coconuts, welcome back to TFC's weekly market updates where we scour the net to find worthy financial news to be further discussed and expanded. For our first story, is big data still a thing? We talk a little bit about Palantir's earnings. We then move to Uber and Lyft earnings. Will they actually survive? And lastly, we talk on semiconductors as they continue to outperform in the market. Hey Coconuts, welcome back to weekly market updates with me, Rakesh. Anthony. And no Jefferson, but we have a new and improved Jefferson, (laughs) Mr. Tim Phillips. How are you, Tim? (laughs) Hi, guys. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, not too bad, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I would say it could be better. Um, You know, my portfolio has been pretty bad right now. (laughs) It's fine. I'm actually used to it by now. Like, it's just this, (sighs) I feel like I'm dead inside, you know, 30% down. Ah, it's only money. (laughs) So be it. Desen- you're desensitized already. Yeah, exactly. You guys just, oh my you, you just the losses. So you've become so numb, you can feel you there. Feel no. you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cute, Rakesh. Awesome. Cute. Of course, always, always. All right, coconuts. For today, we have three stories for you. First, we're here to talk a little bit about Palantir's stock earnings. Move on to Uber and Lyft earnings, and at the end, talk a little bit about semiconductors. Right. So yes. to kick things off, first off, it will be... Oh, it's me. All right, Palantir. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. So here's the question I have for you guys, right? Is Palantir still a thing? Or is big data still a thing? Right? That's the first question. <laughs> and the reason I ask you this <laughs> is because Palantir stock plunged 21% to $7. Right? Literally wow. $7. That Wait, is, that weren't is... they like close to 100 at its Yes. Peak? Yes, it was, right? And of course, you know, back by wow. that's how much they have dropped by. Are we really in the data space right now or are we just throwing money at <laughs> names? <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, all right. Some numbers for you guys before we get some reactions from, from Tim and Anthony. In all fairness, this software company, right, um, issued a weaker than expected revenue outlook. So effectively, they reported less than the expected, which obviously had the plunge. They did have a revenue increase of 31%. Year on year, which is hmm. awesome to four for six million. So that's, that's still bad. decent. Uh, another good news: commercial revenue actually was up fifty four percent quarter. Uh-huh. So this year, this quarter as compared to last quarter, and government revenue actually gained sixteen percent as well. Last big good news here was that the customer count grew eighty six percent year over year. But that's off a yet, low base, right? Yes, of course, it's off a low base, right? So it was effectively government companies, and they were trying to move into big corporates, right? Yeah. Uh, that's where Palantir was. And the truth is they probably expected, the market expected a lot more out of Palantir this year because they were talking about how they spent the cash these last two years into this product that was scalable, it's SaaS, et cetera, et cetera, and <laughs> didn't quite come through. So how many customers do they have now? I'm thinking, I, I don't know, I'll just be candid. Like I, I still don't fully understand what Palantir does. It talks about big data. It talks about working with the government. It talks about being sort of defense oriented, but I'm not sure what space of like SaaS it really occupies. What does it actually do? Can you kind of give me a primer? I, I don't know. I just feel like he's going to refer you to his stocky guy episode. <laughs> yes, for coconuts who want to know a bit more about Palantir, <laughs> go to view our stocky guy. It came out a few weeks ago. Tim. The, the yeah. TLDR is the fact that they actually started off, um, Peter Thiel started off at PayPal and then found Peter out there Thiel, was this yeah. issue on, say, fraud, right? And they, they really said, yeah. hey, you know what? We could do some anti-fraud. 
and they developed that for for CIA. Actually, CIA was the first few investors into Palantir. And then mm. as they progressed, they got more and more government contracts and they said, hey, you know what? This is a big data play. Let's try and move a top-down approach where we move from governments right down to big corporates like Boeing, Airbus, and then move down to, say, your, your mega tech, et cetera, and move downwards. Now, the rest of the market yeah. is doing bottom-up, like your amplitudes, like your mixed panels, right? We mm. start off with the mass and then grow their way up, or else Palantir is trying to do the opposite. Let's put it that way. I've always kind of wondered whether they had... I mean, there's always that conflict. You see it with like big tech, like mega cap tech now, right? Microsoft employees get upset because uh, Microsoft's working with like the US military. So do you think it like works in reverse with Palantir? Do you think corporations are going to be reluctant to work with Palantir because they're so associated with the military and with the government that maybe that's kind of painted them? And then also Peter Thiel obviously has a reputation that precedes him um, in the US, which maybe a lot of liberals rather and left wing, like the left sort of, you know, not popular, is he? So I don't know. I I just always feel like there's there's that kind of risk with Palantir in terms of its, in terms of reputational risk. What do you think on that? I'm not not sure if that's, if if I'm like in the right ballpark there. Anthony, what are we thinking? Yeah, I mean, look, that being said, I think the numbers kind of speak for themselves, right? So they are, you know, when, when they first started out with their commercial arm, I think those are very legitimate concerns, but they are managing to grow the commercial arm quite quickly, actually. I was quite surprised that their government arm didn't actually grow that much, given the, what happened in the past quarter about the war and all that. You would kind of expect defense contractors to do better, right? Or, or to have more growth, but that wasn't the case. So yeah, I mean, Palantir, like big data, like government, it tends to be a black box, right? You kind of see, like, I, I don't know what their product actually is, to be honest. I mean, big data is Listen to my stock geek out. Listen to my stock geek out. So yeah, maybe I do need to listen to the stock geek out, but you know, I think why price dropped so much is really the same as you know, all other growth stocks over, over the past few weeks, right? It's just, yep, they have good current earnings you know they have good growth year on year but they are projecting growth to slow down in the coming quarters and that's the problem i mean couple that with with the interest rates and all of that that we clearly have faced so and expected yeah. so that, i think that's that's definitely part of it in all fairness i think what tim you were asking how many customers they have mm. i don't have a full figure but in terms of commercial clients they have a little bit of banks a little bit of financial services firms but big big companies is merck airbus ferrari most of their revenue does come from from the government. Cool. All right. So that's Palantir. I know it is a favorite of coconuts. Who <laughs> always want to find out more into? I want to buy Palantir, but why isn't it out there enough? We are we are past the growth stock phase, right? No, they, they, nobody wants to look at growth that's stock. So that's infrastructure companies, man. Yeah. 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 Infrastructure, energy, utilities. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Yep. Awesome. And Shengshong supermarket, but yes. <laughs> hey, the dividends was quite high. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Tim, take us away with Uber and Lyft earnings. Yeah, well, Uber actually reported better than expected results, but it still posted a gap net loss of $5.9 billion, uh, which is pretty eye-watering. Um, but but obviously, I think the majority of that was down to their investments in uh, sort of DD and, and Grab. So the D-listing so, for know, DD for those, and Grab's yeah. Um, yeah. uninteresting so spec? Yeah, so DD got absolutely hammered. Grab has been also absolutely hammered. hammered. Um, and, you know, revenue did beat. It was that came in at six point nine billion, so it'd be analyst estimates of six point one billion. Mm. 
Um, and the driver base has reached a post-pandemic high for Uber. So I think that's something that they're quite positive about. Um, and they mm -hmm. think they can continue with that without having to offer significant incentives to drivers to join the platform. Uber actually dropped, I think, sort of like 4 or 5%, but it was nowhere near as bad as Lyft. I think Lyft fell about 30% after its earnings. Wow. Um, but I think in this kind of environment, it's guidance, right? So if mm. your guidance is yes. weak or less than strong, then you're going to be punished. And so I think the the guidance from Lyft was was weaker than expected in terms of driver incentives, increasing petrol prices. So they're going to have to uh, continue marketing spend. And I think Lyft just isn't as comprehensive a platform as Uber. It hasn't really got that delivery um, sort of arm that uh, that Uber has. So I think Lyft mm. is really focused completely on mobility and ride hailing. Okay. So I think it was generally not a great quarter for, for Lyft. Uber is better, but I have always had doubts about this business model and whether it can actually scale yeah. profitably, whether it is something that is great on paper. I mean, it's a great product to have that we can use and that, you know, we, we obviously make use of it. Same with Grab and Gojek here. But, you know, Uber and Lyft, they're the big two in, in the U.S. And so is it something that you'd want to invest in? I think that's that's something that was brought up by a lot of people when Grab went public, right? Like that SPAC is just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is this, this is C. And I'm like, and a lot of people are like, no, this is not C. No, this is not C. So, um, and not only you know, that, right? This is C's competitor. I think the market said that when Grab went for SPAC, it went up for a brief second, but it closed lower than it opens. Because, yeah. The days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even feel like it had a C moment. So at least kind of C hit whatever it was like 300 something. I mean, no, now it's down, down, but like down to 70 or something. Yeah. But, but I think it's one of those issues about, you know, how much market share can they take before regulators step in and say, this is, you know, monopoly. And so the pricing power issue comes into play. And so I think Uber definitely has more cachet has more of a brand name and people know it right you don't i don't think they really need to market themselves everyone knows mm -hmm. in their key markets everyone knows them but maybe lyft they have to do more of that yep. heavy lifting so to speak hey, <laughs> no pun intended hey, yeah. Um, <laughs> hey. um yeah so i think that's one area where where uber has the advantage but in terms of the whole industry itself i don't know what you guys think but i just think it's something that from a long-term investment perspective i really want to want to be in just because the amount yeah. of cash I, i'm afraid to think of the amount of cash uber has burned since it went public is it must be in the tens of billions yeah i was going to ask right <laughs> I, I don't think uber has positive free cash flow yet right I think, although they are, they did say that they are aiming to do to get there by the end of this year. But, but there's always something about for adjusting. I think free free <laughs> cash. I think they're. I think the CEO was talking about free cash flow positive by the end of this yeah, year. Yeah, right? I think he, he was trying to say that. Try, try to, to yeah. This but year. there's always this adjusted operating EBITDA or adjusted yeah, EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA which has you know asterisks for literally everything. Excludes SBC, includes excludes this, excludes that, and you're like, okay, well, what does it actually mean? So. That's something that is never really clear with ride-hailing firms. Well, what does adjusted EBITDA actually mean? And it comes with like oh, yeah. so many caveats, right? So you're never really, Absolutely. you're never really sure where it's headed. Yeah, I mean, there's always yeah. a question about whether the adjustments make <laughs> yeah, sense yeah, in the yeah. context of business, right? Like gap may not make sense for everybody, no. but that doesn't mean that you you have cut a blanche to add everything back in to show yourself as profit. Yeah, so, and then I think with the unionization, I think there's that whole argument about the last 10 years has been great for the corporation, right? And then now we're going into this new phase where 
unions and labor have the power. So maybe that's what you're seeing with wages being driven up in the U.S., at least in Europe as well, and even in Asia. And then you think, well, I guess their whole model is they actually want to remove those drivers. But for the moment, driverless cars are, to me, it's that, you know, they were saying 2050 driverless cars are going to be on the road by 2021 or something. And it's just obviously clearly yeah, not even exactly. close. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's always five years Yeah, away. it's always five, just five years away. So <laughs> I don't see it happening until in the 2030s or something. So, you know, you're going to have to be using Grab drivers or Uber drivers or Lyft drivers for the foreseeable future. And the bargaining power that these guys have now, you know, it, it's something I think that is just going to add costs for these companies um, mm. going forward. So, I, so I have some numbers on FCF. In 2018, they have negative 2 billion. <laughs> negative 2 then billion. They moved to negative 4.9 billion in 2019. 2020, negative 3.3 billion. And December 30th, 2021, negative 743 million. Okay, well, there's definitely an improvement. Okay. Getting, getting, <laughs> getting, yeah. There's a big, Under big a change, 2020 to 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see where we go. Let's see how we get there, <laughs> if it even is. I mean, personally, for me, I, I feel this ride-hailing thing, this this gig economy or whatever you want to call it, you're stuck in the middle. And yeah. I feel that FCF is not possible. With I don't really think it's a scalable business, in all fairness, profitability-wise and, and so on. Yeah. I think it's always a, it's a cash flow game that you have yeah. to play very precariously. Anthony, what are, what are we thinking there? Yeah, I don't know, right? Like, I read the, the transcript of the earnings call and the, the CEO was going, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we are trying to focus on, on free cash flow and, and trying to, like, cut down on unnecessary marketing expense and things like that that don't really gain us a benefit. I'm like, yeah, you should have been doing that. Like, since the beginning. Ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not where the market conditions change and people look for profitability. Then you try to be profitable. You should always have been trying to do this. But it is what it is. I think it's a product of its time, right? Where you burn cash for market share and, and hope that you, you get to a monopoly or, or oligopoly and, and keep it that way. I think unique economics could work out, to be honest, right? We, we just need consumers to pay more. Yeah, and, sure. You know, that just kind of means that you need to make sure that your service is so good or, or so well that you can't live without it, essentially. Yeah. Maybe in parts of the US that works because of a lack of public transport and, and things like that, right? And then people are just used to grabbing an Uber. So, you know, 2 or $3 more might not make a difference. It needs a good, you know, economic conditions to succeed if they're going to try to do that. And I don't know if that is the world we are living in now. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim, yeah. anything else to add on this um, one? This was good. I guess what, what what else would I say about Uber? I, I think their CEO came out this week, at, or actually after earnings, to say that they wanted to focus on profitability. Focus. They'd met with investors in New York. They'd had conversations with investors, and that they really had needed to focus on. Yeah, they really <laughs> need to focus on on it, on profitability. So you're yeah, and obviously that has changed with the uh, with the Fed raising rates and everyone focusing on profitability now the conversation that they probably know they were going to have with rates with rates going up but their stock is still being pretty badly hammered over the past week like all growth stocks i think it was down about what 10 12 percent yesterday it was a bloodbath yesterday though yes i mean it was every, everything yes. got absolutely yeah hammered. but yesterday yes, was a bloodbath not, like, bring yesterday like things yet. went down 20 percent for no reason <laughs> This is it. I, oh even God. the companies, the SaaS companies that had actually are actually profitable stuff like Datadog, I think is, you know, that was yeah. Um, yeah. cash flow positive and actually posting like a gap uh, yeah. 
like, you know, net income, and that, that still got absolutely killed. I think it's indiscriminate at this point. So, I mean, there are companies and software companies making money, but it doesn't matter. I think it's right now, it's like a valuation game. So if your valuation's up there, you're probably going to fall further. Yeah, just kind of silly. Yeah. Right? Like, it really does feel as if the, the baby's getting thrown out of totally, the bathwater totally. at this stage. I mean, Datadog was fan- is a fantastic yeah. example. It was up, what, 30% yeah. post earnings? Yeah. And, and now it's given, <laughs> within a week, it's given it all back yeah, for exactly. no reason. <laughs> so, oh, you my know. God. I have to say, my amplitude is also still but getting a hit. But that's the fun of this. But I mean, you know. <laughs> It's growing, guys. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wait for earnings. Oh, we'll wait for it's earnings. good. It's good. I'm telling you. This data dog. <laughs> you shouldn't. It's that's insider trading. You really shouldn't be telling us. Amplitude. I don't work for Amplitude. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, there's no insider trading whatsoever. <laughs> all, all these small tech companies all, all blur into one line. Oh, right, now. right. Okay. <laughs> this guy. Thinking I work for like five different companies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you do. Hey, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks so much. That was a good one. Anthony, yeah. we are making some time here. Yes. Well, we all know the reason why, right? It's, be- <coughs> it's because Jefferson is... I'm looking forward to a two-hour stocky count yes. with Jefferson about macro. On that note, Number one, Tim, please listen to our Palantir stock geek out. <laughs> I need to do. I need to do that. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back and listen to that. Number two, I want a primer. I want a primer. Yeah, number two, coconuts. We're going to actually record a FOMC effective macro stock geek out. So we're gonna record that soon, and we're gonna push that out as fast as possible because obviously this week there's been a hike. There could be another meeting this month, and they signal another hike. So we want to get that out to you. Deeper dive into macro. So stay tuned and we'll definitely post that on all our social media. Sweet. Anthony, take us away. What's happening with semis? All right. Semis, I think they're still doing well, right? Mm. And they are still outperforming slightly to the extent that you can outperform 20-30% drops in a week. Right. But yeah, AMD had their earnings <laughs> last week. Surprisingly, it was actually really good. The revenue went up 71% year on year. Of course, that, that was slightly altered due to its acquisition of Xilinx. But even without that, you know, organic growth itself was still 55%, which is great on revenue, right? And in contrast with all the other tech stocks that we're talking about, they have actually upped their guidance for growth, right? So they're saying that year on year this year, they'll grow 60%. Mm. And their previous projection for 2022 growth was about 30%. So this is a fantastic race wow. of, of expectations, right, with AMD. And I think, you know, if we are looking at their sectors, you know, yes, people tend to think of AMD as personal computing. I agree that hasn't been doing super well. It's been going, I think, single-digit growth for the personal computing sector. But there are other sectors like, you know, auto tech, 5G mobile, and data centers especially, they have been growing tremendously. Right. And that's really been pushing AMD's revenue up. So to the extent we want to think about AMD, I think it, it might be easier to think about them as well. Servicing the industry and, and maybe the transition to cloud, you know, which we have been talking about being fantastic and, and one of the few secular tailwinds that kind of still remains right mm. now. That still work, right? AMD is probably going to be another beneficiary of that as they can, you know, start supplying more to data centers and things like that. Um, I think what I'm relatively concerned about and I want to ask you guys on is, you know, all kind of think of semis as cyclical, right? It tends to go, well, there's a bit of a cycle, it goes up, there's always a big, big shortage in demand and you know, all the semiconductor companies are 
happy because they're they are making profits hand over fist. Then supply gets built up, you know, fabs get built. And after that, well, because of increased supply and maybe a bit of a decrease in demand, pricing power drops, right? Mm-hmm. Is this cycle different? Maybe because due to the transition to cloud and whatever, are we still stuck in that type of cycle, right? And this is just the, the cresting of the wave, which is why everybody's rushing into semis now. Tim, what do we think? Yeah, that, that, that's the big debate in the semi space, right? Is, is it cyclical or is this a structural growth uh, trend that is just going to continue to expand? But the question marks over that latter argument of it being a structural growth trend really revert back to the shortages, right? You know, the, the, mm-hmm. there's so many shortages. So the real true picture of maybe true demand, we're not really getting that with the shortages. And if the inventory or if they stop ordering more and there's too much inventory being built out, then there's just going to be a massive crash whenever, I don't know, next year or in two years' time. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think it is going to be different this time. Yeah, that's like famous last year. Instead of saying <laughs> it's, it's different this time. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's just the, it's the fact that maybe five or six years ago, the cycles, they were all related to smartphones and PCs, mm. right? Whereas maybe yeah. data centers have really started to take off in the past you know, half decade, I think. So I think the amount of chips that go into that and the computing power, you know, you, you read all the stats, the amount of data that's being created now today as compared to even five years ago in 2015 or 2016, it's, you know, a multiple of however many times. And so the computing power that goes into that is huge. And so all these chip companies now, they're all involved in actually, uh, they go into everything. So now people are talking about TSMC as the most important company in the world just because it creates, you know, the, the, the chips, not ASML. Builds the chips. <laughs> no, or ASML, yeah, with, with, with its proprietary technology, right? So those two, are, I feel I, they're kind of in a pyramid. I feel ASML is probably at the top, but then TSMC and Samsung are below. Yeah. And then and then it's the rest of the guys like NVIDIA, AMD, and so the rest of the rest of the AMD, wasn't it? Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then so I think it's, I think it's an interesting structural story, interesting space, because there are so many different parts Mm. to it, right? There's the analog chips where maybe Texas Instruments, that they are experts in that operating margins are super high, you know, that they they make the chips, there's not so much capex that goes into that. And then you've got the super cutting edge chips that go into data centers, which obviously TSMC is is doing themselves or is manufacturing rather for the likes of NVIDIA or AMD. And those takes so much capex, right? So there's so much money that goes into being able to go to the next generation. So that move from 5NM to 3NM is just insane, the amount of money that takes to go into it. So I think they've really built themselves a moat, um, Mm -hmm. TSMC, whereas, you know, Intel has really struggled and Intel's now seen as that value play within the chip space, right? (laughs) But I mean, mean, they have value for a reason, right? It's so cheap. Yeah, 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 they're so cheap. I think it's a space to be excited about. I think the different tailwinds are really starting to pick up for semis. And it's becoming a less, it's actually a product of a globalized world, right? Because the amount of components that go into, into chips are made, it's, it's, it's truly global, right? And we're becoming less globalized, I think, in a way. So I don't know if the efficiency is going to be there to manufacture as many as we have done before previously. So I think that's something to consider. But in, in terms of the actual structural trend, I think chips are just as strong as cloud because cloud relies on chips, right? So yep, exactly. this is the, the second order of it. Yeah. And these foundries and the fabulous companies, you know, I think they've really, especially NVIDIA and AMD. I mean, AMD has been an unbelievable story against yeah. Intel, which 
you know, I think the it's no coincidence that both of the Jensen Huang and Lisa Su are both Taiwanese. Uh, they come from that background, with that chip expertise, and then TSMC is the boss of of the foundry business. I think Taiwan just has that expertise in chip space that no one can match. So semiconductors is, yeah, this space is something that I think we should be watching really closely as an area that will have structural growth mm. continue. You saw that with AMD's results, right? They actually ended up with a week up, I think, over 10%. Yeah, they've kind of given it all back, but yes. they gave it all back, <laughs> but, but with the markets, I think the other growth names probably given way more. They've probably been down 30 40%, whereas I think AMD maybe is only down 15 20%. Yeah, it's not too bad, surprisingly. In terms of the overall growth sector, it's still done quite well. And they are actually, these big fabulous names, such as NVIDIA or AMD, are growing at what, 60, 70%, they're actually profitable. They're actually massively free cash flow positive. Again, that might not matter that much in this environment with valuations, but it's something that we should definitely consider as, as a massive positive because in this market, investors are looking for, uh, for, for cash flow and for profitability in the here and now which they're delivering, but they're also, in, on top of that, they've also got the growth. They're in growth mode right still, right? So I think that's something that we should definitely be happy about. And they go into everything now, chips, right? They go into, there's, there's autos. You hear some crazy stats about how many chips are actually in an, a modern EV, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, I was just going to no, say I, that. I mean, that, that's part of the reason why even ICE vehicles prices have gone up, right? And, and apparently, prices. like, if yeah. you buy a new MERS now, it's you have less chips than if you bought it two years ago, even though they're charging you more for it. Yeah. <laughs> you just get less electronics now. Yeah. And like everything has it, right? Like I'm sure microwaves nowadays and toasters, everything's got chips in it now. If you, if you have a smart home. You'd be surprised if it doesn't have a chip in it now. <laughs> yeah. Whereas maybe about five or six years ago that the chips were mainly in PCs and desktops and, and, and data centers. And yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, data centers. Whereas now you've got just so many, it's just ubiquitous, right? Mm. So I think as long as there's structural growth and, and that's healthy and it's continuing to grow, then I think there'll be demand. But if there is a global recession, then obviously that's an area to be concerned about because of, uh, just because of, just because of spending yeah. and tech spending. But, um, but I think on the whole, I think it's one, it's an area or it's a bright spot in the tech growth market right now for me. My thinking about it, I don't really know if this is correct. At the end of the day, comparing TSMC, SML, they are quasi-monopolies, right? And, and that's fantastic for them. But they are also extremely high capex companies, right? And mm. there's only that quickly you can build a new fab or you can create, you know, new lithography machines. And other than that, you're stuck, right? That There's only that much growth you can have. Whereas if you're NVIDIA or if you're AMD, you're a bit less constrained physically in that sense, right? Because you are, I mean, you're constrained by TSMC's capacity, but other than that, you know, if you can do the design well and you can do all of the other parts well, you know, your margins can still be great. And if the change turns out not to be structural, if it's just cyclical, then at the end of the day, when the down cycle comes, you are left holding the bag a bit less compared to, you know, the, the fabs where you have spent billions building it up for nothing. To me, it's, it's maybe a bit of a mitigant and, and why I would kind of prefer NVIDIA and AMD over the FAPs just because, you know, they are not putting in the CAPEX to, to the same extent at this stage. I think it's it's also sort of a double-edged sword with NVIDIA or AMD. I, you're definitely right, Anthony, in that, that there's, there's not that CAPEX requirement, but then in terms of the technology and how fast it's changing, you're, you're seeing reports of Microsoft and Amazon and Google trying to do their own chips or trying to design their own chips. 
And so mm. ASML and TSMC would benefit. It doesn't actually matter who, who designs the chips, like they, they manufacture yes, them. So exactly. if they're going to charge it and they've got pricing power, which they do, they'll be charging the prices More. that they want to charge to, yep. whether it's NVIDIA, AMD, yeah. Microsoft. Custom silicon so, is definitely yeah. a exactly. challenge for, for this it's, to come. I think it's more predictable businesses for ASML, TSMC, but it's definitely not as exciting as maybe an NVIDIA with AMD, which I which I agree with, I think is the more exciting area of focus. I think for me as well, it's it's structural. I think there is that increase. So let's see. I think for, for our coconuts out there, if you get you get two separate views, I think, today. One, we go with the lesser spend so that right, and lesser infrastructure, if you're going with AMD. Or if you think that, you know, these companies are going to grow and, and it's structural and it's it's these fabs are there for a reason and not just an influx of demand over the next three to five years, then that could be another growth spurt as well. Right? I mean, we, what are we talking about? Tesla's making cars, <laughs> Tesla's making bots, everything's going into that. But, you know, the rest of the, it, just look at the automotive industry alone. Everything is moving towards the number of chips and number of semiconductors that are going in them. I think it's it can't be cyclical again. It has to be. It yeah. has to be structural. Yeah, and that's just one. I industry. think that was. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. see. I mean, we'll I mean, see. We'll see. We'll see in two or three years. You'll say this time is different, right? And five years later, we'll, you can come and tell me you told me so, and and I'll be happy because <laughs> I'll have made money at the office with AMD and Nvidia. But you know, we'll see. <laughs> I, I think or, or to be safe, just buy some ETFs, guys. I mean, yeah, just buy, just yeah. buy, just buy semiconductor ETF. But I think we should be able to see where the industry is when this chip shortage kind of comes to an end, right? I think that's when you'll be able to see whether this has actually got legs or not, because I think mm. that that will show the true picture of inventory levels and whether there's yeah. a massive, or if the Fed, you know, know, engineers a recession and, Engineer, and yeah, creators yeah. demand and we go, oh, <laughs> well, demand. maybe this is not structure after all. <laughs> well, the it's Fed true. is just maneuvered or it's just crushed demand for, for chips. <laughs> demand destruction. I think that's like a new term that everyone's talking about right now. Our coconuts out there, we can't wait to record it and send it across to you. Obviously, enlighten you a little bit more on FOMC and the macro. And of course, we will have Jefferson after he's done with his cruise. Uh, you know, recording flight, on flight, this. Flight. flight, flight, sorry. Third time is a flight, yes. <laughs> and the other two are cruises. And stay tuned. So we'll definitely talk about that. Of course, you know, crypto, we didn't bring that up today as well, but that also has a plunge. The unpegging of USD, yeah. Anthony was living it. Right? He was smiling so much <laughs> just now. So, <laughs> Tim, thanks so much for joining yeah, us today as well. Hope, hope you had a couple of fun. Yeah, no, good times, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again, Coconuts, for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback, so share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.